Welcome to another episode of the Covered Podcast. I'm your high drag, low speed host, also executive director of the Utah Fraternal Order of Police, Ian Adams. Joining me, as always, is our El Presidente, Brent Jex. How are you today, Brent? Good. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm happy to see that the weather is good. We've got a special guest, though, today as well. Brett Rawson wasn't able to uh, provide adult supervision for this podcast. That's unfortunate for him because he'll usually be, the, therefore, the butt of every joke. But in his place, he sent his much better looking, younger, uh, and very experienced uh, colleague, J.C. Jensen. J.C., what's up, man? Yeah, not much. Just happy to be here. Thank you. I want you to know JC has been around for a long time. If you haven't been able to uh, uh, meet JC, I, I, I'm glad because that probably means you didn't get in any trouble or, or uh, face any, any impending bad news stories. Um, we'll get into a little bit of that. But first, I just want to know how you guys are uh, handling. Last time we were here a couple weeks ago, I don't know. We, we were still in the middle of um, full lockdown, right? And we were kind of talking about how we were going to come out of that. How's the last couple of weeks been for you, Jax? Well, I had uh, some successful meals sitting down in, in some restaurants. Uh, my first one had to take place uh, in uh, Utah County. I was really hoping to be able to sit down in, in Salt Lake County, but that came uh, that came about a week or 10 days later. And uh, it's been awesome. Take me there. How melty was the cheese on your first dish? You're sitting there paying cash, <laughs> but, not wearing a mask. Let me tell you, it was so awesome. So we went to a, <laughs> went to a Mexican restaurant in Lehigh. Yeah, uh, met a buddy for lunch, you, and you can name it. Let's let's give him some free press. Where'd you go? Uh, we went to La Fountain. Oh yeah, it was uh, you know walking in and and just knowing that you're not just picking up a takeout order that's going to be right. You know, twenty minutes old by the time you get home, and sitting there at the table with the chips and the salsa and everything right there, and the and the the waiter that was. I think they were just as excited to be yeah. back taking the orders mm-hmm. and looking around in it and it wasn't packed, you know, and it was, it was lunch hour, but sitting there and then having the food right there in front of you and eating it while the cheese is still mm-hmm. stringy and mm-hmm. everything like that. It was so exciting that, that, uh, for the tip, I doubled the, you guys double the cost of the money. Our listeners can't see the glow or even oh. sparkle in your eyes right they can now. Hear it. But I wish they yeah, can hear, I wish they they can hear it in my voice. They can hear that that's a voice that's that's clouded with a layer of cheese. Yeah. The the meal and I happiness. was the meal I was most looking forward to coming out of the pandemic was actually just your meal. Whatever you got to eat, because I knew the story would be mm-hmm. um expertly rendered. Right yeah. JC. Have you been, have you been, managed to walk out into the the uh, larger community without a mask yet? Yeah, every day. Oh, good. You you continue to work. I know JC's um, been in the office every day because every time I dropped in there, you were you were hard hard at work. You know, I don't I don't think of JC as just a lawyer, which you're not. Nobody's just anything. I, the first time I had any knowledge of you, I think. It was just before you went to law school. So what'd you do before? What'd you do before law school? Um, I began law school in 2013. Before that, I worked as a law enforcement officer as well as a paramedic. Mm-hmm. I began an EMS in uh, around 2001 as an EMT, uh, moved into an EMT intermediate and then a paramedic. I worked for a local ambulance company for a number of years and went out to Dugway Proving Grounds, worked as a paramedic oh. out there for about half a year. 
And following that, I got hired by a local sheriff's office. What kind of what kind of EMS work is out in Dugway? Work that I cannot talk about. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I've got several of those friends for about another ninety-one years. <laughs> did you uh, did you grow up locally here? I did. I grew up in Davis County. Oh, did you? Okay, so you've been here been here a while. So, how long did you do in law enforcement after you uh, joined up? I began in law enforcement in 2005, went through Utah's Peace Officer Standards Training, graduated in 2006. I worked for a sheriff's office for about seven years. During Mm -hmm. that time, I was on ours as well as Salt Lake City's SWAT teams. I was on those for about five years up as a operator, a scout, a sniper, and a breacher. Mm -hmm. Not all for Salt Lake. I was all those for uh, the sheriff's office that I worked for. And that. They have a mixed group between Salt Lake and Davis? That is correct. Uh, We're also paramedics. So, Uh you know, we we were able to operate as the SWAT medics for Salt Lake's team. My my time at the sheriff's office came to an end, and I worked for another local ambulance company as a paramedic while I prepared for it. I got accepted to law school. Oh, cool. So I went up to the U. During the course of law school, I I was asked a lot, what are you going to do? Are you going to be a defense attorney or prosecutor? Right. You know, people thought, well, you're you're a law enforcement officer, so naturally you'll be a prosecutor. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hedged that way a little bit because, you know, I, I wanted to be the one to make the decision of whether something goes forward or not. Yeah. The reality is uh, prosecutors do not make as much money as defense attorneys. And, yeah. you know, one, one of my primary goals is to provide for my family and to be there for my family, you know, experience sure. my children growing up and experience the time with my wife. Um, so there were there, we, well, following my graduation from law school and preparing for the bar, we had a multi-agency training, right? As I started law school, I also got hired by a local law enforcement agency and I've worked there part-time now for just over six years. Mm. So as part of that law enforcement agency, we were doing a multi-agency training at the conclusion of the training during our debrief, somebody, in the room we were in, asked if I'd completed law school. I told him that I had. Um, I, I'd never heard of Brett Rawson, or I, I'd never seen Brett Rawson, but I heard of him before. Yeah. And at, at the cl- conclusion of the debrief, Brett Rawson came up to me, asked if I had my Juris Doctor. I indicated that I did. Um, he introduced himself and said that we should talk sometime. <laughs> I said that'd be fine. Um, I left that training. I think I was going to a sports practice for one of my sons and I got a phone call. I didn't know the number. I typically don't answer numbers. I don't know, but I felt impressed to pick up this time. I did. And it was Brett Ross. He asked, is this the Jeff Jensen um, who's gone through, you know, some significant things during the prior five years? And I indicated, yes, this is him. And this is the one who was victorious on, on everything that I've gone through. At that time, he indicated that I needed to go out and speak with him and his partners and that I'm supposed to work for him. Yeah. He just ordered you in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He essentially said, come on out and, and this is what's going to happen. So we set up a time a few days later. I went out and met him and his partners at the law firm, sat mm-hmm. down. Yeah, you know, just kind of went over everything that I'd gone through during the prior five years. At the end of it, I remember looking at the partners, their their jaws were agape. And they essentially said, you have been through and, and you've been victorious in absolutely every, every 
every area of law that we practice here. Right. Shortly after that, I was offered a position. I've learned that anytime you know, something significant is offered to me that I need to take time and think about it. Yeah. As grand as it may be and as much as I may want it, I need to take a step back, think about it, and discuss it with those around me. Smart. So I told Brett I was going to do that. He appreciated that, and I came back to him, I think, within the week yeah. and accepted the position. Well, you may not know sort of the the intersections of your and I's story. We've, we've talked a little bit about it little bit but about the same time i was trying to make a decision that you were getting hired i was trying to make a decision about what my post police careers looked like and two of the obvious choices in front of me were continue to pursue the academic side and go for a phd or go to law school and i was fully on board with the law school idea it had been something that had been in the background of my life for a long time and uh brett came over to my house and he was trying to I was just seeking advice like I always do. And uh, basically what he told me was like, look, I don't need you to go be a lawyer. I got JC now. Um, we got, we are set in terms of awesome lawyerly experience coupled with awesome law enforcement experience. And uh, so it wasn't like the defining thing, but it was a, it was a big decision. Like what we need as a community of, of law enforcement officers and people who care about them is, you know, a, a wide range of experience, a wide range of, of ability to, to tackle the problems that are, are affecting our members. And so I, I can't tell you how much of a relief it was to get you fully on board and to watch you develop even further in the last couple of years as, as an attorney to the point now where, you know, we'll get into the details later, but in some recent high profile events, it's not even a question. Like, let's get JC, JC's point on that. JC's got this. And there is a full recognition of, of the capabilities that you bring. So appreciate you being part of the family, part of the team. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that the, the paths you walked were just dark enough to give you enough experience um, to help others through even, even darker. So thank you very much. Um, I'm flattered and humbled. Thank you. Yeah, Jax, what about you? Law school in the future, I, I, I'm, I take it. Well, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do kind of a stepped approach. <laughs> yeah. uh, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go for my associate's degree. Uh -huh. And once Support. I get that, then I'll kind of evaluate the bachelor's. And then I told so you I'm on. teaching an intro to, to the criminal justice class, like starting in a couple I know, weeks. but I told you all I need is a <laughs> math class, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is a qualifying math class. That's yeah. that's it. That's yeah. all I'm, that's all that's standing in my way. And I'll see what I can do. So if you can just uh, sign off on that. Yeah, maybe maybe awesome. just a, a tutor, maybe instead of when we're sitting around making fun of each other, we could do something uh, productive, educational even. As long as it's not math. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a stumbling block for you. All right. Uh, let's move into some, some current events. Uh, this last week, I got, you know, I don't check the newspapers on Sundays because I like my weekends, but Monday morning, I woke up and to a bunch of media calls and, and concerned calls about a University of Utah alleged incident. So I, I took a look at the newspaper and what I, here's what I saw as somebody who's lived and breathed police media for a long time. I saw a story with two unnamed sources alleging conduct that had been clearly like within the text of the story already investigated and was dragging an otherwise good officer out of the out of the 
his life into the public spotlight in order to be, you know, become the, the latest viral officer spread, um, whose name is spread around the world. JC, what do you got to say about that? Anything? <laughs> I got a lot to say about it. I, I've said it once and I'm, I'm happy to say it again. You know, the officer's name is Mr. Darris. I've been representing Mr. Darris for a number of years now. Yeah. Um, from the outset of the Laura McCluskey incident until recently, and I, and I still do. You know, Mr. Darris, uh, once you sit down and you speak with him, he's a very humble and a very honest man. Yeah. You you get that just by looking at him, by his demeanor, and by, by his spoken word. So this on Sunday, I believe it was on May 17th, is, is when I got notified of, of the initial news article. I, I read the article, and at the conclusion of the article, I I felt what I'm assuming most other people feel is some sort of discomfort. I took a step back, reread the article, and started noticing a lot of inconsistencies and deliberate misstatements. Hmm. Um, I'm happy to go through the article. No, no, I think, you know, I don't want to drag you back through that, let alone our listeners, but they, they, they'll they'll be aware of the story and 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 there will be plenty of time to go back over line by line i i'm interested sort of it's 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 concerning to me when i see and i know this is by the way concerning to a lot of um friends i have in, in journalism it's not clear the decision making process that's going on at the salt lake tribune that allows you know, the only two witnesses, alleged witnesses to this, were both given unnamed uh, source status. That is not something that everybody gets. You know, I've talked to the media a lot in my life. The number of times I've been an unnamed source is exactly zero. <laughs> Despite the fact that I paid heavy professional costs for talking to the media. It's not normal practice to just extend that status at the and, and this is a decision that's made by editors at journal at, at newspapers not necessarily the the writers of the story and especially not normal to do so while naming the person involved and dragging that person into the spotlight right it speaks to a world of journalism right now that is heavily dependent on clicks heavily dependent on salacious headlines and storylines that are not always based uh, even uh, heavily on truth, let alone completely. And unfortunately, our members are often the ones that pay the price for those decisions. And there's almost, it seems, no recognition on the part of those uh, decision makers that they're that's what they're doing. Jex, I don't know if you've had the same experience or JC, when, when, as an active officer, um, I was, you know, I had several stories that went sort of large, high, high profile incidents and I get death threats to this day, right? Like some YouTube video will pop up a body worn camera, uh, uh, footage and it, it ends up in Romania somewhere. And now I'm getting death threats from Romania. And that's unfortunately the future that's following, uh, your client in this matter, but not, but well beyond that is following any officer who happens to get this treatment. Uh, and it's not fair. Uh, it's something that, that it's a struggle for us to address from our organizational level. 
Um, Jex, I know you've got friends in the media. What are the, you know, do you talk about this kind of stuff with them? Yeah, we talk, uh, we talk quite a bit and the, and the biggest thing on, on this or any other incident is that we have to keep in mind due process, you know, this, this compulsion of, of, well, it's being reported. So therefore they must be, you know, they must be guilty and, or it must have happened without said, without stepping back and going, okay, what's, you know, what's reasonable in this? What's a, uh, is there something that, is there something that I'm missing on this? Because it seems just like too easy of a, mm-hmm. too easy of a deal. Um, and friends of mine, you know, two of whom sitting in this room and others out there listening that have been, that have been the victims of that. Right. You know, it's kind of this quick, well, what's a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, well, it's a very underhanded. It's unfair. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, a very unfair, underhanded right. move by by some people. And I and I look, I truly believe that that those that have these these intentions of of just throwing anybody under the bus for the sake of covering up something else, right? No matter what it is, it's it's going to come out. And this particular I mean, this particular story bothered me because, like JC, I had the same reaction. I read it at first with some discomfort, like, oh, and then I do what I always do. Go back and read careful, read with a really critical eye towards what exactly they're alleging here. And when you do it like that, you can read the story and it's clearly cleverly phrased in some in some spots in order to because which speaks to the fact that the, the people writing this, I think they know that what they're doing is unfair. Right. And so they're cleverly constructing the language so as to leave them an out. So later when we come back at them and say, hey, this was unfair, this was wrong, this was this was untrue. They can say, oh, well, we we said in paragraph 42 uh, that alleged. Right. I said with all due respect. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm not here pretending to have any answers to this. Uh, I think I've been both impressed by the Salt Lake Tribune's coverage over the years. Um, you know, Jex, you had a, a six-part huge series that should have won a Pulitzer in that paper that I thought was some of the best written material on officer trauma and response that I'd ever seen. And at the same time, I've, I've seen them just completely fumble on on basic fairness uh, to officers. Um, they've been at the forefront of... Uh, uh, inappropriate prosecutions of officers in this in this county all of which failed at even the most basic level to to attain it their their goals uh, and and they failed to vindicate officers on the back end of that right they love to get the clicks on the front end and then when it turns out that what was alleged isn't true uh, you know they may they may post some uh, local page three section story on the on on it, but they're not going to go to the mat like they did at the beginning. So, uh, JC, what's your experience here? What's, I mean, you, you kind of have to maneuver in that world as a lawyer. Occasionally you've certainly had that experience as an officer. Um, you know, here you are almost 70 years old, um, <laughs> <laughs> clearly much older than Jex or I, I just, for the record. A lot, a lot of parts of me uh, think I'm over 70. That's true. <laughs> you know, I, I think the importance is the due process part that Jex talked about. 
at a prior agency, I went through an issue where, you know, the, the, the due process wasn't provided. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone said something and everybody jumped on the bandwagon. Right. It, it took me and uh, another officer of mine who were going through the same issue um, to take it, take it all the way that we could. And when we did, at the end of it, you know, the truth finally came out. We knew the truth. Um, but other people were unwilling to, to bring that to the forefront and say that this is really what happened. You know, ra- rather they, they had the knee jerk reaction, they jumped on the bandwagon and at the conclusion of it all, you know, when, when we stepped out of the mat and we were victorious, you know, all, all the, uh, people who had that knee jerk reaction simply shrugged, shrugged, shrugged their shoulders mm-hmm. and said, well, th- th- right. that is what it is. Um, you know, and not only in an administrative context, but, but also the same when it comes to the public demand and the public outcry of what they hear and what they read, you know, it's, so when I talked to Miguel, you know, I expressed that I've had a similar incident, right? Um, you know, as a law enforcement officer, it really helps to say that I've been there, I've walked in your shoes. And and in fact, I've walked a mile down the road. So, (laughs) you know, let's walk this together. You know, I, I appreciate Logan Police Department's administration for not having the typical knee-jerk reaction that we've seen in the public. They did exactly what we would expect a leader to do. Right. That's to find out what's happened, take a step back, and exactly what Chief Jensen said, I'm going to find out the truth. I'm going to find out the facts. And if anything's warranted after that, I'll address it. Right. You know, that that's a leader. That's somebody who looks at what's being written and, and like we all do should question it. Um, I'm not asking everybody to believe everything that comes out of my mouth. I would be toting the line of, of hypocrisy if I did. Sure. You know, I'm asking question, question what I'm saying and, and question what you read and don't jump on that band rat wagon and throw people in front of the fire. Cause things start to get hot. You know, what would be nice is if we started looking at news reports, the way we would look at weather reports. Yeah. You know, because everybody looks at weather and they're like, oh, it says it's supposed to rain tomorrow. Or, I don't know. They're hardly ever right. So, you know. These are difficult stories. Like, I, w- I don't necessarily want to be the person put in charge of writing the stories for a lot of these because they're messy. You have competing interests. You have very powerful interests. The University of Utah, let me just say, is an incredibly powerful political voice in Utah. Right? I get why the Tribune may want to err on the side of uh, attacking loan officers rather than the institution of the sure. University of Utah. That doesn't make it okay, though. It right. makes it uncomfortable. And and us sitting around this table, we're used to taking on powerful interests and paying the price for it and knowing just sort of like, yep, that's what happens. Um, but it, it still, it, it does drive me a little bit insane to see it just happen over and over and over again. Um, I was going to sort of fall back on offering a, a bit of an olive branch to the Tribune, but now I'm not even so sure I want to. It, it just, the editorial decisions, I get why, here's my here's what I suspect. They couldn't have published that story without sources and that they weren't going to be able to publish it with named sources. So they just caved and went with unnamed sources. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that's an unfor- that's a really bad decision-making process um, when you're talking about significant harm to a person's life, right? It's not a costless decision uh, 
that the, the, the Tribune made in this case, or that you know journalistic institutions make in a lot of cases. And I'm interested. Maybe we'll reach out and see if there's any appetite for a discussion on that at some point um, with the people making those decisions, because maybe there's some information I don't have that would justify it. But I challenge you today, look through the Tribune today, look for an unnamed source story. There's going to be some high profile investigative reporting going on, and yet they use named sources. So why this one? Why unnamed sources here on this story? And if the answer is, well, we couldn't have run our crappy story without it, that's not good enough. That's not that's not an ethical decision. That's a that's a uh, making a decision to get clicks. So we'll see. I, and I've gone on long enough about the uh, Tribune's failings in life. So let me move on to other institutions. Hello, University of Utah Police Department and its leadership. Hello, University of Utah and its leadership. Right. You we're not going to go into it here because, you know, God, God forbid I um, publish any any knowledge that isn't public quite yet. But there's more coming on this story. And it was an it was an intense failure by the chief of that department, the new chief, when he decided to throw his subordinates to the flames on this one. And his response was to place whole swaths of that department on admin leave merely, here's, here's their offense, as stated by him in his release. Their offense was conducting an, inter, or conducting an investigation as ordered by the previous chief that he didn't like the results of. That's now worthy of admin leave. Imagine for a moment, right? You are charged by your chief with doing a policy investigation. You do it. Months later, a new chief arrives. And he decides, <clears throat> taking a look at, at the public uh, indignation that's growing around him, that the appropriate answer, the appropriate response to that indignation is to turn on the officers of that department who conducted the investigation in the first place as ordered and to, to, to immediately throw them to the wolves. Sorry, you're on admin. But see, that's part of the, that's part of the mob mentality that, that's increasing, not just here, but across the country. Yeah. It does. The facts, the facts don't matter. The facts only matter when they themselves are accused. Oh yeah. That's the only time when, well, that's when you go to the contract and pull the golden parachute with the, the, uh, $250,000 payouts. Yeah. That's, That's what that's for. Yeah. And, and I, I don't blame, actually, I don't at all. I don't walk around angry at people for being angry at this kind of story, right? My mom calls me angry about mm -hmm. these types of stories. It's, it's not, I don't expect the general public walking around to be experts in police policies and procedures and being able to parse carefully through a newspaper story. That's not what normal everyday people should be expected. What we should expect, though, is dis is leadership out of quote unquote leaders. And if you're a chief of a department and you are facing a high profile story, your response should not ever be to immediately crucify your subordinates. That is incredibly bad leadership. If you're the president of a university who's overseen failing after failing after failing, and you still refuse to take personal uh, blame for that, you are a bad leader. And the next crisis coming down the pike, because it's coming, 
you'll see again. I, I just wouldn't want to be an officer. I wouldn't want to be any, any lower than a chief in that department. I wouldn't want to be any lower than the president of a university at that university right now, because somebody's going to pay the price for their failings, mm-hmm. for their $500,000 a year salary. Somebody's going to get sacrificed and it ain't going to be them. And it's just disgusting that we do this over and over. And it, and it, it's why this organization is so incredibly needed and why our membership continues to grow, frankly, because officers aren't dumb. They see this happen to their colleagues and they know it could happen to them. And they know that, that possibly the only people willing to stand between them and the mob is the Utah Fraternal Order of Police and the Utah Legal Defense Plan. And we do it time and time again. And JC's, you know, a critical part of that. Um, often a quiet part, but a critical part. Um, and in fact, I, I hope who should be our next guest? Who in the office? Which of the uh, attorneys should we drag in here? Nate? I think you should bring in Nate. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to express our sympathies to the U of U Police Department. You know, the chief's actions, if, if you believe what he what he's quoted as saying in, in the articles, where he also falls subject to that knee-jerk reaction of what was printed in the Tribune. It not only subjects his prior employees to public scrutiny, but it is going to and is subjecting his current employees to continued scrutiny. Exactly. When they're trying to, you know, get over and move on from what happened a year and a half ago with Lauren McCluskey, the new chief has essentially ripped open that wound. Yeah. And said, yeah, we began to heal, but not on my watch. Right. You know, he, he ripped that right open. He exposed his subordinates um, and is trying to shield himself, which is really sad leadership. It is. Yeah. And it, it, I don't know the guy. I've never met him. I'm not impressed by him at all. Um, his decision making appears completely po- politically driven, uh, which I, you know, politics is part of a chief's job. Um, but part of a chief's job is being able to balance that political demand with leadership and organizational demands. And so far he hasn't shown that ability. Um, I hope that it, the, I hope that the, the department can recover for its own sake, for the officer's sake, right? That's who I think about. Um, I've lived with the day in day out pressures of a political chief and it's ugly. Um, it's not easy. And I didn't have to deal with near the stress that some of those officers are dealing with right now. So yeah, my, my full sympathy and support to those officers. Um, I've already heard back from many of, uh, uh, you out there, um, thanking us for our support and thanking the law firm for, um, 24 seven support on this. Many of us have been up late at night on phone calls, uh, discussing how to best support our members and we'll continue to do it. I mean, that's what we do around here. Jex, what do you think? What's next? Next on the agenda or next on the story? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, I know what's next on the story. We don't need this. Yeah. That'll come out. No, I think that uh, I think the biggest part is that we all need to we all need to take that critical step back. We need politicians to to be leaders, not not politicians. We We don't need the the rush to uh, the rush to claims of either. I mean, we got we got state level uh, elected officials that are calling for the disbandment of 
the used police department as if that's the as if that's the problem we've got other politicians that are calling for you know that we're going to have you know widespread investigations and our my response in reaching out to him was like good yeah have those investigations but look you know ask those critical those critical questions and so all that's going to come up um but what we i think what we need most is that cops rally around cops yeah and you know let's stop having this stop having this divide and you know ask yourself if this was you being accused would you want the benefit of the doubt you know we've got leaders out there that are doing pretty much whatever they want and and i'm not just talking about on this case i'm talking about in general we've now let me follow this up by saying that we have got some phenomenal police chiefs here in the state of sure. utah we have got some phenomenal sheriffs here in the state of utah absolutely but separating that group out we've also got chiefs that are very much into their self-interest you know truth be damned it and it we've got that kind of at a growing growing in an in- increasing rate um and stuff that just kind of blows my mind that the concept would even that would even make sense and i and i sit here and i ask myself i'm like how do these guys even look themselves in the mirror how do they look themselves in the mirror especially when they're you know putting surrounded their badge on the answer Jex, is what you do is you tape two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in cash to your mirror so there's only a small frame uh, left yeah, but can you that's how you look yourself, yourself in that in that well, frame you i mean know? you make how can small. you how can you pin that badge on and go you know no, yeah i'm an honorable you're right person, and in you fact it, far be it from me to leave a podcast without um you know thanking the people that are doing a good job logan's chief i don't know his name uh chief jensen chief jensen has done a phenomenal job absolutely right? i that's what a chief should do not come out with a decision either way, right? He didn't come out and say, oh, Miguel's completely innocent and I'm moving on with life. He didn't come out and say, oh, I buy every word of the Tribune story. And uh, he's out. And he's out. Um, and he could, right? Like the, the, that is within a chief's purview, either of those choices. No, he took the right leadership position, which is like, hey, those are concerning allegations and I want to know more and I'm going to have an investigation to find out more. That's the very basis of what we do in law enforcement, right? We don't we don't take a nine one one call and without investigation go decide like to take action on that. We we proceed through the investigation. And yet when it comes to our own members, that for many, too many, that goes out the window. But it didn't in Logan's case. Um, and and I, I sincerely appreciate Chief Jensen's efforts on that because I know it, it it does it costs leaders to be leaders, to take yeah. strong leadership position. Those I'm sure he's taken a little bit of a yeah, I'm sure he's getting some pressure too, yeah. but he's doing the right thing. That's the role, right? He's doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, I, I want to touch on what you said a little earlier about giving <clears throat> giving into the public um, outcry as it comes to the U of U's chief. You know, the fact is, the incident giving rise to the reason we're talking today was reported about a year ago. Mm-hmm. It was investigated by his department, and a decision was made in February of 2020. Nothing has happened since February 2020 until the Tribune article was disseminated. Yeah. In the event there was really an issue, the chief should have addressed it in February and not waited until after <clears throat> the Tribune article was disseminated. Sure. 
So, you know, you, you can look at that and you can see that, you know, once that fire does begin to build, I mean, that that's when he takes the actions he did. Yeah. If they were problematic, they would have been taken care of months ago. Yep. Yeah. It's everything's stinky around it. <laughs> everything's stinky and shitty when it comes to that level of decision making going that wrong. So we'll see, you know, leaving with a, on a bit of an optimistic note, this will work out in the end. I believe, um, you know, an investigation, uh, is being conducted again. Another outside investigation is being conducted. Uh, we should have some more, you know, clarity on what, on what's occurring. I don't have a great deal of faith that those results will be disseminated if they don't, uh, uh, if they don't rhyme at least with the Tribune's uh, story, but we'll see. I've been surprised before it happened back in like 95. I think the Tribune surprised me. It was a sunny Thursday. I believe. Anyway, I uh, I really appreciate you guys both being here with me today. You're good friends, um, good colleagues, and I know I can count on your support every time I get that shitty phone call in the middle of the night. I know that there's a couple of you out there. To those of us listening, you, you can hear the strain in our voice as we talk about uh, some of these uh, items going on in the world. Just know while you're listening to us, we see you out there. We see you working hard. We see you um, risking not just your lives and your physical safety, but relationships, reputations, and willingness to, and you do it with a willingness to step in every single day and do it again. Uh, and I appreciate that about you. Thank you to Spencer Wright of Pod Mill. We're coming to you from their downtown studios in Salt Lake City. My name's Ian Adams, and we'll see you next time.